I was thinking as I was sitting there that it is sure nice that we finally figured out the air conditioning. I guess in the winter, in the heat, uh, in this uh, auditorium, we've always had air conditioning, I think, for the longest time, but they finally, I think, have mastered it, so it's so nice and comfortable. Who, just a little survey. Who has air conditioning at home? Okay, those of you who got your hands up, do you have extra bedrooms? Just, just <laughs> Ken, I'm sending Graham to you tonight. <laughs> Allison always chooses the week that is the absolute hottest to go up to camp to counsel, so she can't really hear me complain about how hot it is. Uh, in the house, but we will we'll survive. So it's lovely to be here where it's nice uh, and cool. Um, we had a little bit of a situation at our house. Uh, for a number of weeks, we didn't have ketchup in the refrigerator. Uh, every time I would cook scrambled eggs or something that grilled cheese, whatever needed ketchup, it seemed I would go to the fridge and there was no ketchup there. And I would keep reminding Allison, we need ketchup. Uh, and she would go grocery shopping, but for whatever reason, she kept forgetting the ketchup. And about a week ago, I came home, and on the counter was the biggest bottle of ketchup I've ever seen, but it was great value brand ketchup. And I said, what is that? <laughs> Allison says, well, it's ketchup. I go, well, I know it's ketchup, but what kind of great value ketchup and she said, well, it's just like any other ketchup. And I go, okay, it's great value ketchup. Who knows what chemicals are in this to make this red liquid that poses as ketchup? And she said, there's no difference. And I said, Allison, maybe there's no difference in a bottle of yellow prepared mustard between brands. But there is a difference when it comes to ketchup. That would be like saying that there is no difference in a, the different brands of canned beans or boxed macaroni uh, or diet colas, because we all know within those brands, there is a superior, or within those categories, there is a superior brand that all the other brands wish they could be like, ketchup being one of them. There is a difference. It reminded me of a story, and I think I told this story here a few years ago, so I'll just really quickly run through it. But when, when I was a teenager, to be cool, you wore a red lumber jacket and you wore Greb Kodiak work boots with your pants tucked in them. And uh, I remember asking my mom and dad, I wanted work boots for Christmas. And open up the box, imagining this beautiful brown leather Greb Kodiaks, and opened up this ugly pair of black ankle height work boots and looked at it and said, what in the world are these? And my mom said, well, they're work boots. I said, but I wanted Kodiaks. And she says, well, what's the difference? They're all the same. There's no difference. And Woco had these on for sale. That's really dating my story because they were bought at Woco. And I go, mom, there is a difference in work boots. And it just reminded me that where there's confusion or lack of understanding, it's quite easy to lump seemingly similar things into the same category and totally miss what makes them unique uh, and different. And I'm sure we all could share stories of things that we've wanted or we're hoping were going to be purchased and what you ended up with. And we don't just do it with products and, and footwear and clothing and food from a grocery store, but 
we tend to do it with people as well. Especially when things are going bad, we tend to lump seemingly similar people together into the same category. So whether it be policemen or politicians or, or teachers or civil servants, when things are going bad, they're all the same. Now, a few years ago, the general secretary for the Worldwide Council of Churches was asked a question. He was asked, what do you see as the number one theological issue facing Christians worldwide? And without batting an eye, he came up with an answer. The uniqueness of Jesus. Because if Jesus is not unique, we don't have a gospel. If Jesus isn't unique, we've got nothing to share with the world. And yet most people in the world have conveniently lumped Jesus into the same category with all the other world's religious leaders. His teaching is often seen in the same light. His path to God is is considered as valid as other religious leaders' path to God. You see, where there's confusion and where there's a lack of understanding and sometimes even ulterior motives, people who seem somewhat similar can be lumped together and we miss what it is that makes the person special or unique. And the question I want to ask, a couple of questions right off the bat here, and I ask this to you especially if you are a follower of Jesus. What is it that makes Jesus different? What is it that makes him unique? And how can you be sure that he is the one true way to God? And those are challenging questions. I know that. Because they cut to the very core of our faith. They're the questions that make us consider the validity of our faith. And if I can be so bold, let me suggest, they are questions that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be able to answer. What is it that makes Jesus unique? And how can you be certain he is the one true way to God? There was a poll that was done in the U.S. and only 12% of people who considered themselves religious, and that was a wide category, only 12% of people who considered themselves religious believed that their religion was the one true religion. 57% of evangelical Christians polled believed that a number of different religions can lead to eternal life. And so it stands to reason that the questions that I just asked are are seen by many as narrow-minded and irrelevant. What makes Jesus unique? How can we be certain that he is the one way to God? What benefit is there in considering what it is that makes Jesus unique? I mean, aren't all religions the same? Aren't they all equally true? Haven't all the world's religious leaders offered some amount of wisdom when it comes to daily living? Why would we want to elevate one above the other? Isn't what, it, isn't what is taught more important than who it is that's teaching? 
Wouldn't it make a whole lot more sense to us for us just to pick truths and, and wisdom from this religion and that religion and this religion and that religion and this philosophy and, and lump them all together like a big smorgasbord and we just kind of choose what we want instead of saying that one is right. And surely if Jesus was here, he, he wouldn't want any special kind of recognition. that's not true. Because Jesus had some very exclusive, narrow, and to some people, very offensive things to say about himself. And to those who, who believe his claims to be true, his claims are life-giving and a source of joy. But the bottom line for everyone is that the uniqueness of Jesus, what makes Jesus different, has eternal implications for everybody. Because humanity's dilemma finds its solution in the uniqueness of Jesus. We've already read the, uh, the, the context, the, the fuller passage that, uh, that the few verses that I want to consider this morning come from, and, and we're continuing as Arnie said so well. Uh, Jesus said, what? And we're, each week we're going to be looking at, there's a number of uh, guys that are going to be helping me out this summer doing this series. We're going to be looking at some of the profound, some of the radical, and some of the puzzling things that Jesus said. And today is one of those. And if you got your Bible, turn it to John 14 and just keep your finger there because that's where we're going to be looking. And I'm gonna, I want to really focus on verse 6. But let's look at verse 4 through 6. Jesus says, You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And in verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this morning, I just want to break down verse 6 so that you can walk away knowing some of what it is that makes Jesus different and unique and how you can have confidence that he is the one true way to God. A couple, a couple of preliminary thoughts before we get into verse 6 specifically. And the first thing is this. These claims of Jesus, and especially the question that comes out of, verse, uh, out of this passage, is Jesus really the true way to heaven? Is he really the only way to heaven? That, the claims and that question pose kind of a problem and a challenge for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. First of all, quite simply, if you believe those claims, if you believe that there is something unique about Jesus and that he is the only way to heaven, it should affect the way you live your life. If you truly believe that no one gets to the Father but through Jesus, it should motivate you in your conversations with people that you know don't know Jesus. If he's the way and the truth and the life, it should impact the decisions and the priorities and the, the ways you spend your time uh, in your life. So, so that's the one side of the equation. But the other side is this. If you believe it, 
If you believe these things to be true, and it has affected the way that you live your life, then understand and realize the reality. Most people in this world don't agree with you. Most people don't believe what you believe. Uh, Some people think it's silly and absurd, and others are, are deeply offended at the things that you would believe. And so there's temptations because of that reality. There's a temptation to not let the claims of Jesus impact the way you live your life and the way you vocalize your commitment. There's a temptation to water down the gospel. And there are many buildings that call themselves churches that don't preach that Jesus is the only way to heaven because they've fallen for the temptation. They've tried to make Jesus, God, Christianity more appealing to those who find the claims of Jesus here offensive. Some people would say that what Jesus says here, uh, not only is it narrow-minded, it's snobbish, and it's harsh. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to heaven but through me. And yet it's important that we understand, Jesus said these words in a moment of great compassion. His followers had just been hit about 15 times across the head with a two-by-four. They had left everything to follow Jesus. They believed that he was going to be the next great leader. And then Jesus starts telling them these things, that that he's going to be going and they can't follow him. Uh, That that one of them is going to betray him. One of them would deny him. That he was going to die. It was a truly desperate situation for these disciples. And in the midst of this desperation, Jesus says, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And 2,000 years later, these claims are given to us in a moment of great compassion. Because all of humanity finds itself in the midst of a huge dilemma, and that's the dilemma of sin. That our sin problem has alienated us, has separated us from the Father, and has caused us to be having to pay a huge penalty because of this sin. But as I said, it's, it's, it's in the claims of Jesus and in what makes him different that we find the solution to our dilemma, that great dilemma of sin. So what is it that makes Jesus different? And how can we be confident that he is the true and one way to heaven. Well, let's break verse 6 down, and hopefully I can give you some of the answers for that. Verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way. The first thing that makes Jesus different is the supreme authority of his claim. It's easy to, to get into that verse and kind of focus on the way, the truth, and the life, and skip right over those first two words where Jesus says, I am. Literally, I am and nobody else is. I and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. And these aren't just overconfident words of a martyr. It's not wishful thinking. Those original hearers, when Jesus said that, their mind went way back to Moses. 
Way back to Exodus 3. Remember Moses, the burning bush, confronted by God? God says, I want you to go to Egypt. I've heard the cries of my children. I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And you remember Moses gives all, all these excuses as to why he wasn't the right guy to do it. And finally he gets down to the excuse, but what if, what if the Israelites ask me, well, who is it that sent you? If I say to them, well, it's the God of your fathers, well, what's his name? And so Moses says, what name am I supposed to give to the Israelites as to who you are that sent me? And God said, tell them, I am sent me. And here in John 14, Jesus is saying, I'm I am. I'm God come with human flesh. See, Jesus, he was the resurrection and the life. He referred to himself as the gate, the good shepherd, the bread of life. And here he's saying, I am. I'm God come in human flesh. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so what makes Jesus different? Well, first of all, it's the supreme authority of his claim. He is, I am. And then he says, I am the way. And so the second thing that makes Jesus different is he is the way. And, and, and catch it, he's not saying I'm one of many ways. I'm here to point out a couple of different options that you have. Now, he is the only way. And don't miss the, uh, the universal negative in the passage. No one. No, not one person is what it literally is. Not one person comes to the Father apart from me. And Thomas, we we often pick on Thomas, but I think he's he's probably closer to what we would be like than the rest. He, he, He voices his doubts and his questions. Jesus just said he's going to the Father's house. He's going to his Father's house. He's going to be preparing a place. And, and, but where he's going, you can't go right now. But you know the way. And Thomas goes, I have no clue what you're talking about. How are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. And the word way, it, it presupposes two points. Like a starting point and an, an end destination. You know, A and B. And the starting point here that Jesus is referring to is a place described so well in many places in Scripture, but in Ephesians 2, which we're going to look at in a a few moments, it's a place of sin and and alienation and separation from God. And the destination is a right relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying is if you want to get from separation from God to a right relationship with God, the only way is through me. And understand this. That one claim strikes a death blow to every other world religion that there is. Because most of the world's religions tell you, well, there's something that you need to do, that you need to chant. There's a list of do's and don'ts. If you're good enough, worthy enough, if you do enough good things, then you can possibly make your way to the destination. And Jesus is saying no. And the Bible clearly says, no, you can't do anything in and of yourselves. You never will be worthy of getting to point B. You'll always slip up and have to go right back to point A. In fact, you really don't leave point A because you're constantly in sin. 
Because a holy and righteous God can't allow sin into his presence. And if we can't do anything to shake sin, we can't be in God's presence. Unless a perfect substitute is found. And good luck trying to find one. Only God could provide one. It was by God coming in the person of his son, taking on human flesh, taking our sin upon himself and putting it to death on a cross to satisfy the Father's righteous demands. And so if you want to get from separation to a right relationship with God, the only way is through what Jesus Christ has done. That's what makes Jesus different and unique from all other so-called religious leaders. He is the only way to the Father. So there's the supreme authority of his claim. There's the fact that he's the only way to the Father. And then Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the truth. Ever been in a, a conversation with someone and you're just talking about things and all of a sudden in the conversation, the other person starts talking about believing in God. Now, I don't know about you, but it's just like, whew, this is some common ground. We can, we can even go deeper into the conversation. But then you start talking to the person, and they start talking about their belief in, in, the, in the God that they believe in, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, <laughs> they got a different God than I've got. Because I don't think I believe the same things that they believe. So one of us must be right, and one of us might be wrong, but maybe we're both wrong. How can we ever be sure what's truly true? And what's truly false? That's why a lot of people have just given up the idea that there could be any absolute truth. How can we be sure that there is any truth? And Jesus says, but I am the truth. And what does Jesus mean? I am the truth. Well, certainly, I think Jesus is consistent with what, what Scripture tells us is true about truth, that uh, something that is true and, and truthful is, is trustworthy will always do what it says it will do. Uh, it's faithful. It can be relied on. It's genuine. It's authentic. That's what the Bible says about truth. I think that's consistent with who Jesus is. But here Jesus is saying something even more specific. What Jesus is saying is that I am the truth concerning God. That's the context. I am the truth concerning God. And we agree with that. That's easy to understand. Jesus came so that he could teach people the truth about God. And he could point out the truth about God. So I think we would all agree with that. We get that. But Jesus is going even deeper. He's saying, I am the truth concerning God. Bless you, Daniel. Anyone that is asleep is now awake. I was well planned. Of course, now you've got to tell me where in the world I was. No, Jesus says, so Jesus says, I am the truth concerning God. And this is what sets Jesus apart. Because what he's doing is he is claiming that he is God himself. He is God come in the flesh. He is the truth concerning the Father. And this has wonderful implications. Because if that is true, 
If Jesus is the truth concerning the Father, then it's through looking at Jesus and his life and the things that he said and the things that he did that we can understand what God is like. That he's personable. That he hasn't just forgotten about us. That he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to communicate with us. He's faithful. He's faithful to his promises. The whole story of Scripture is that God is going to send a Messiah. Someone to fix the mess, the dilemma that we are in. God's faithful to his promises, and he loves us. He isn't willing to leave us in the mess of our sin. He loves us so much that he would send his only son to come and to take our place. And understand this. If God is true, Jesus is true. You can't have one without the other. We can't say, well, God is true, but Jesus was a liar. Because if that is the case, then everything falls apart. And we stand at the foot of the cross totally helpless. But what makes Jesus different, what makes him unique, is that he is the truth. He is God come in the flesh. And so we've got the supreme authority of his claim. He is the way. He is the truth. And then finally he says, I am the life. What Jesus is saying is that he and he alone is the only one that has the ability to meet that longing that exists in every human's soul. Oh, how many of you are uh, Greek mythology fans, or if you remember the stories that you learned at school, but one of the ones that I found interesting was the story of King Tantalus. And King Tantalus was being punished in the underworld, and he was chained to a lake. I'm not quite sure how you chain someone to a lake, but just go along with the myth. He's chained to a lake, and he's got extreme thirst and extreme hunger. And so he's chained to this lake, and the water level is right up to his chin. And right above him are these beautiful branches filled with fruit. But every time in his extreme thirst that King Tantalus would put his head down to drink some of the refreshing water, the water would go down. And every time he reached up to get a piece of fruit, the branches would lift just high enough that he couldn't reach them. King Tantalus, this this myth, is, is a perfect picture of utter frustration. His, his story is forever immortalized in, in, in the English, world, English word tantalize. And I think it's a perfect picture of what it's like to live life apart from Jesus. Because there's this deep longing for peace and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and joy that sometimes seems like it's right within our reach, but we just can't reach it. In Ephesians 2, we have this perfect description of our utter frustration. Enemies, lost in our sin, hostility. That described the relationship or lack of that we have because of our sin. But then Paul says, but we've been made alive in Christ because of the mercy of God. Jesus is the one source that we can experience the joy and the satisfaction and the fulfillment 
the, the, the life, the, the kind of life that we desperately long for. One person has written that there's a kind, this is what Jesus is meaning when he refers to himself as the life. There's a kind of life that is only a shadow of what God created to be. Life without me is like an echo. It is at best the fading reflection of the real thing. Here for a moment and then gone. But the life I give is abundant and eternal. It outlasts the few years we have here. It easily outshines what this world can offer. It's the very life of God in you. I'm not here to point you to this kind of life. I am your life. Let me loosen you and watch what happens. It's what makes Jesus different. The supreme authority of his claim. He's the way, the only way to the Father. He's the truth concerning the Father. He's God come in the flesh. And He is the source of true life. That's His claim. But as we come to a close, I've got to admit, there is a problem. Anyone can make a claim. I could stand here this morning and make the claim to you that I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one will get to heaven except through me. And I realize it would take a very short moment for you to disprove that. But there are others, much better people than me, who can make the same claims. Just because Jesus made these claims, why should we believe them? Why should we really believe that he's any different than any other religious leader that's gone before him? And here's my answer. The answer to which I rest my faith. Jesus claimed one other thing. In fact, he hung his reputation and his identity and his accomplishments on this claim. Jesus claimed that he would die and three days later he would rise again proving what he said to be true. He would rise as a stamp of approval from God the Father. And three days later, the tomb was empty, and no one has been able to prove to me or to suggest any alternative to as to why the tomb was empty and why there were eyewitnesses that saw him after he rose from the dead, why the church started so close to where Jesus was crucified, why his immediate followers would allow themselves to be put to death after the tomb was found empty, other than he must have risen from the dead and the tomb was empty. Therefore, he is who he said he was. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. None of us, no one is going to go to heaven except through what Jesus Christ has done for them and by putting their faith in him. And so I ask you, what do we do with these claims? And the Bible only gives two options. And we can flower the options up and we can try to make different categories. And even as Christians, we've tried to do that. But you either reject the claims or you accept the claims. You dismiss who Jesus said he was or you embrace who Jesus said he was. And to put it off for a while is to reject. To want to consider it further and then never really get back to it is to dismiss. To just wipe your hands clean of it like Pilate did is to dismiss the claims of who Jesus is. 
You need to put your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he guarantees you eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there really is one option. The Bible doesn't really understand why anyone would embrace the claims of Jesus and then live like those claims really had nothing to do with one's life. Rather, the Bible describes one who embraces the person and work of Jesus and puts their faith and their dependency and finds their sufficiency in the person of Jesus and can't wait to tell others about Jesus. That's why we got the vision that we have here at Auburn, that we're going to work together to see people outside of the church who have left the church to come back to Jesus or come to Jesus for their first time and to discover what it is that makes him different, what it is that makes, us unique, that makes him unique, and why we can be confident that he is the one way to heaven. And we're going to sing a song, Arnie, come on up with your, your team. And, 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 and this, is, this is the first opportunities from the, the end of this sermon that we can share, and we're just going to share it with each other, the truth about who Jesus is. And this is just a warm-up for when you go outside and you start sharing this with those who don't know Jesus. Jesus, our Messiah.